you're listening to the SSPX podcast. We're happy to present the second episode of Father Stephen McDonald's virtual retreat on the Sacred Heart, and that is on the topic of Christ and humility of heart. If you are able to help support the work of the SSPX podcast, which is produced by Angelus Press, please visit sspxpodcast.com. There you can set up a recurring donation of just $5 a month. If we have enough people to do that, that will greatly help with this apostolate and to be able to reach more people with the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Now, here's Father Stephen McDonald. In the previous conference, we considered the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, a great contrast between the spirit of pride and the spirit of humility, a parable which teaches us the need for a spirit of humility. Humility of heart, in fact, is necessary for all spiritual progress. It's the very foundation of the spiritual life. This humility of heart is necessary to begin a life of devotion to the Sacred Heart. This humility of heart is a hallmark of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, our Lord's whole life was an act of humility. And so in this conference, we're going to consider the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. The actions of our Lord, as found in the Gospels, teaching us a very valuable lesson in humility, instructing us in our Lord's great love for the virtue of humility. Our Lord himself said, learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. We see this at the very beginning in the scene of the incarnation, which we find in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1 verses 26 and following. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women who having heard was troubled at his saying and thought with herself what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done? Because I know not man. And the angel answering said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. And therefore also the Holy, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her that is called barren because no word shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. If we consider this scene, it's interesting to note that every character present humbles himself or herself. St. Gabriel, the archangel, humbles himself by deferring to a woman to a material creature. The Blessed Virgin, of course, humbles herself, calling herself a handmaid, 
she who is the purest of creatures, she who is to be the mother of God, considers herself a servant girl, a handmaid of the Lord. And finally, of course, the Son of God himself humbles himself in this scene. He humbles himself by taking human nature, by becoming one of us. He humbles himself by taking on the condition of an infant. Of course, our Lord could have appeared in full glory as a king reigning supreme. And yet he chose to enter this world, as all men do, as a helpless infant. And then finally, the Son of God humbles himself by hiding all of his divine and human perfections, which of course were present at the very moment of the conception. The Lord wished to appear as all other men. He sees, we see in this the great love of humility that our Lord has, that our Lord desires in his followers. When our Lord is born, of course, Again, we see his great humility, born in the humblest of conditions, in a stable, in the cold of night, surrounded just by dumb animals, the first men to visit him are poor shepherds, our Lord born in poverty, humbling himself for our example, our edification. The entire hidden life of our Lord is a perfect example of humility. 30 years of a hidden life in preparation for the three short years of his public ministry. 30 years being considered the son of a carpenter. There's, of course, only one mention in the Gospels of our Lord's life during these hidden years. And that's when at the age of 12, he is lost in the temple. And Our Lady finds him only to be teaching, instructing the great doctors of the law. And it says that our Lord goes and he subjects himself to St. Joseph and to Our Lady, living this hidden, this very humble life. The first act of our Lord's public life is a great act of humility. We see it in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 3. Verses 13 through and following, it's the baptism of Christ. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. But John stayed him, saying, I ought to be baptized by thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for so it becometh us to fulfill all justice. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, being baptized forthwith, came out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our Lord, of course, gives us a beautiful example of humility. Of course, there is no need for our Lord to undergo this baptism from St. John the Baptist. And yet, he does so to set an example for us. And St. John, of course, recognizes that he is not fit, that our Lord should be the one baptizing him. And yet, our Lord sets this example for us, a great sign of humility. As our Lord goes about his public life, especially in choosing his disciples, his apostles, 
He chooses the humble, fishermen, farmers, a publican. Our Lord wishes us to understand that if we wish to be his apostles, we must be humble. There's a beautiful scene when a group of children come up to our Lord. Of course, our Lord attracted these beautiful, innocent souls. And the apostles at first wish to send them away, not wishing to bother their master. And yet our Lord gives us a beautiful example of his love for humility. We find it in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that hour, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who thinkest thou is the greater in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, calling unto him a little child, set him in the midst of them, and said, Amen, I say to you, unless you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, he is the greater in the kingdom of heaven. And he that shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. We must all become as little children with this spirit of humility, this humility of heart, recognizing our dependence upon God as our loving Father. At the end, of course, of our Lord's life, in his passion and death, he gives so many beautiful lessons in this virtue of humility. At the Last Supper, our Lord, of course, washes his apostles' feet. St. Peter, who, of course, is the first one our Lord approaches, is overwhelmed by this act of humility. It should be I washing your feet, not the other way around. And yet our Lord uh, reminds him that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And that the servants are not greater than the Master. That as he has done to them, they ought to do to one another. The passion and death of our Lord, of course, is the ultimate act of humility. Our Lord gives us so many beautiful lessons in humbly embracing the will of his Father, embracing the cross, undergoing the passion and death for our salvation. St. Paul, of course, marvels at this in his epistle to the Philippians. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he says, For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and in habit found as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross, for which cause God also hath exalted him and hath given him a name which is above all names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory of God the Father. Our Lord suffered the humiliations of his passion, to show us the necessity of humility in the service of God. That if we wish to serve God, if we wish to be apostles of the Sacred Heart, we must be humble. We must recognize that all has come from God, that we belong to God, and that our great 
task in this life is to serve God in a true spirit of humility. The Sacred Heart loves humility of heart. He desires little souls, and he uses the humble for his work. Many of you might already be familiar with one of the stories from the life of St. Margaret Mary, the great apostle of the Sacred Heart. When our Lord appeared to her as the Sacred Heart and tells her that he is going to use her as the great instrument of spreading devotion to his Sacred Heart, that he wishes her to be an apostle of the Sacred Heart. She at first is concerned, worried. She complains to our Lord that she is unfit for this task, that she is not intelligent enough, not well-educated, that she is not eloquent in speech, that she is incapable of doing any good, that she is too little, too nothing for this great task. And it's so beautiful and so, so instructive what our Lord says to her. When she complains that she is unfit for this task, our Lord simply answers her, yes, I I know. I know you are unfit for this task. And if I could find anyone who was littler or less worthy or less fit for this task, I would choose them. But I cannot. I choose you. And because you are little, because you are nothing in the eyes of the world, it will be very clear that this message, this mission, comes from me and not from you. And I love your littleness. I love your nothingness. It is what has attracted me to you. Our Lord loves humility. He loves when we recognize who we are, that we don't pretend to be something we are not, that we recognize our complete dependence upon God. These are souls, these humble souls, these are souls that our Lord can work with, that he can use as his instruments. Our Lord, of course, and it's something we must never forget, took on the sins of mankind. In fact, he loved to refer to himself as the Son of Man. It's the title that appears most frequently in the Gospels. Because he has taken upon us, upon himself, I I should say, our sins, because he loves to refer to himself as the Son of Man, it's a beautiful reminder that he understands our weakness that he loves our littleness, and that he wants our confidence. There's a beautiful prayer that St. Margaret Mary composed, and we would do well to recite it from time to time. She says, O heart of love, in you I place all my confidence. I fear all from my own weakness. I hope all from your goodness. Such a beautiful prayer. O heart of love, in you I place all my confidence. I fear all from my own weakness. I hope all from your goodness. This, in a sense, is the sentiment 
of an apostle of the sacred heart. Yes, if we were left to our own devices, our own talents, our own abilities, we would fail miserably and we would have much to fear. But because God does not require our own efforts, because he will always be there for us, giving us the grace we need to succeed, and if we abandon ourselves to the sacred heart, we can have the greatest confidence that we will succeed, that we will sanctify our souls, that we will become saints, and ultimately that we will gain eternal life. We fear all from our own weakness, but we trust and have confidence in all things in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Sacred Heart loves simple humility in his followers. In a sense, like St. John the Baptist, the key to our spiritual life is simply to decrease so that our Lord may increase within our souls. That's, in some ways, the perfect recipe for spiritual growth. Less of self, more of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this, of course, requires us to become as little children. Father Matteo, the great apostle of the home enthronement to the Sacred Heart, tells in his classic work, King, Jesus, King of Love. He tells us, it is really necessary that I should make myself small. In the divine order, this is always the first and the last step. Alas, we are far too big to be saints. Big and saint are contradictory terms. For to be a saint, one must be little. And to be a great saint, it is indispensable that we should be very little. Divine grandeur, the only one, always means a lessening and a disappearance. If then we wish to transform ourselves in God, we must begin by making ourselves very little. And to, give, and to give him to other souls, to be his friends and his apostles, we must at once prepare ourselves to be particles of the host, which is Jesus himself. Is it not wonderful to think that the word, in order to give himself to us without reserve, comes under the appearance of bread? We are not greater than the master. We shall never be able to work miracles of conversion unless we begin by this miracle of grace. Namely, we must decrease that he may increase in us and in souls. And to further drive this point home, Father Matteo shares a beautiful story, again related in his work, Jesus, King of Love. The following story will teach you a great lesson. Let us call it a dialogue in Nazareth. A little girl of eight had been well prepared for her first communion and had made it with fervor and generosity. Our Lord, who never lets himself be outdone in generosity, willed that such great love should be repaid by a miracle, and from that day on used to converse with her. She was not in the least surprised, for in the simplicity of her heart, she thought that everybody could hear Jesus and speak as she did to him. They talked together as naturally and familiarly as a little brother and sister. One day Jesus said to her, Do you really love me very much? She was up in arms at once, for the question seemed to imply a doubt. And she replied, You oughtn't to ask me that, dear Jesus. 
Why not? He inquired. Because you know quite well that I have given you my heart and it belongs to you. Yes, answered Jesus, I know, but I wanted you to tell me so. Very few people love me nowadays. Shortly after, in a moment of fervor, the little girl said to Jesus, Is it really true that you, who are God, can love a little thing like me? Then Jesus paid her back in her own coin, saying, You ought not to ask me that. Why not, she asked, quite upset and fearing she had done wrong. Because you know quite well I do. You are my very own, my little apostle, and my heart belongs to you. Well, said the child, I knew you loved me, only I wanted you to tell me so yourself, dear Jesus. And so it went on nearly every day. However, as it was a delicate matter and imagination might easily have crept in, I resolved in all confidence to make a test to draw from our Lord a proof that it was really he who talked to the child. One day I told her to ask for the conversion of a great sinner. The next time she came to confession, she said in her usual simple way, Father, he's coming. What do you mean, child? Who's coming? The sinner you asked little Jesus for, Father, don't you remember? Without further ado, she went on. Next day, when Jesus began to talk to me, I said, please, Jesus, wait a minute. I want to speak first today. Then I told him what you had said to me and that he would know quite well which soul you meant since he was God. With a lovely smile, Jesus said, yes, I know. Ask me always for souls and tell father to ask too, and he shall have them. After your next confession, the man he means and whom nobody has been able to convert will go and make his confession to him. But to get him to do this, you must, you must be my little missionary. Pay the price for his soul by earning three golden pennies. Do this by offering to me your prayers, your sacrifices, especially by obedience, and your communions. Then she stopped short and added hurriedly, Father, please, hadn't you better give me absolution at once? The soul's just coming here. I did so, and as the child moved towards the altar to say her penance, I saw coming toward my confessional a man who was known to lead an absolutely irreligious life. Father, he said, I do not know what has happened, but since this morning I am quite changed, and I have come to make my first confession. Jesus had vanquished him, giving his soul as a reward for the loving prayers and sacrifices of a little child. And then Father Matteo finishes by saying, I really think that we are altogether too solemn to be saints. Blessed are the little children and those who make themselves like unto them. Whatever our age and however lofty our station, we can always be children in sincerity, in simplicity, little Therese wrote. I have always said, pray as you love. Let there be less ceremony in your way of speaking to God and be more like a child talking to its mother. Do not seek fine words or ramble off into useless reasonings. Think how marvelously simple are the prayers of the church. The same words are repeated hundreds of times in the litanies, in the missal, and in the breviary. Amen. Have mercy on us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. The whole system of the official prayers of the church is of this kind. There are no complications. Everything is beautiful, divine, and simple. 
The Sacred Heart requires humility. He requires that firstly, we recognize that all good comes from God. That everything we have is a gift from God. This humility requires us to recognize that nothing is our own. Not only that all that we have belongs to God, but we ourselves belong to God. And therefore, we are meant to give ourselves back to God. This humility of heart finally recognizes what a privilege it is to serve the Sacred Heart. That being called to be apostles of the Sacred Heart is a privilege, is an honor, and it's something that we should take to heart, that we should take upon ourselves with a great devotion, a great fervor, a great desire. Our Lord has given us the perfect example of a life of humility. He reminds us that true worth is found in the gift of self to God, that our lives will be valued, that our, our lives will be weighed on how much we give ourselves to God. Humble souls love to obey the dictates of the sacred heart. Humble souls will love to become as little children, recognizing their dependence upon God. A true apostle of the Sacred Heart, then, a truly humble soul, will desire, above all else, to simply play the role that God has desired for them. To serve God in a spirit of humility. Always keeping in mind, always keeping in the depths of their being, in the depths of their heart, the very beautiful words of our Lord. Learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart.